Well, good morning, and welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. If you're here for the first time, I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron, and it's our delight and honor, as Dwayne mentioned in the uh, announcements, to have you with us today, because what we recognize is the, the divinity within all of life, and we do honor all traditions. For those of you that are here for the first time, welcome. For those of you that have brought a friend, thank you so much for doing that. Because it is really around the idea of living spiritually. And in every tradition, that's different. In every walk of life, that's different. For each and every one of us, it's different. And we know that. And we honor that. It's not a problem. It's just we have all of humanity here. So as we move into our... um, ritual of silence today, what I'd like to invite you to do is just be mindful of what's going on in Florida right now with uh, the water rising and the winds swirling quite intensely and to offer the fullness of our hearts and support to our brothers and sisters that are in those anxious moments of the unknown. And this is truly where we can offer unconditional love to one another and support. So I'm going to invite you to join me in silence, 30 seconds of silence. I'll um, offer a chant. Some of you know it. Please feel free to sing along. If you don't, just let it be part of the soundtrack of your life for a few minutes. So let's begin with our silence. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So what I affirm and know in this moment, I invite you to allow these words to be your words, and if They're not a good fit. Just let them wash over you. But I affirm and know and declare that there is one unified field of life and that we are in it and it is in us. It is an energy. It is love, beauty, joy. Yes, it is. And so what I know in this moment as well is that that life and that field is who and what you and I are. One life, one power. That life is perfect, that life is spirit, that life is source, that life is God, that life is my life, your life. Always, always has been, always will be. And so we come together today in the awareness, the sacred awareness of that conscious invitation invokes and creates for us. So whatever is unlike that in this moment, I affirm and know that it is washed clean in this moment, beautifully and wonderfully and powerfully for anyone ready, willing, and able 
to make that declaration. So I support you in that. For as it says in Scripture, where two or more are in agreement, it is done. And so I agree with you as you agree with me. Anything unlike that one life that is in any way, shape, or form influencing, attached to, or creating discord in my life, whether it be a thought, a feeling, an energy, it is washed clean in this moment. And so standing in that and knowing that we continue to come together in this incubator of unconditional love, let us give our best. Let's bring our best. Our best is enough. Our best is when we thrive. Our best is when we are alive in the congruence of spirit. So I stand in celebration of your best, my best, and the best for this beautiful planet, our brothers and sisters in Florida. Let us know that even in this moment as we offer this invocation, that the waters are receding and the winds are quieting. For there are... There are cultures and realms of consciousness that control weather. Perhaps this is our opportunity to stop being victimized and to start understanding how integrated and connected we are to all of life, including the weather. So knowing perfect peace in this moment here, there, and everywhere, peace is appropriate and called for. I give thanks to stand with you collectively in the power of that idea, that intention, that knowing, and that feeling tone. So in great gratitude and appreciation, I invite you to say with me, and so it is. All righty, thank you for joining me in that prayer. I'm going to invite, we've got a, f- a few things we want to do because it's an important time that, to uh, really invite you to, to d- step into your spiritual practice in an intentional way. So I have two people that are going to share briefly this morning. And the first one is um, a man who actually did a, a drawing for us of uh, what our future facility might look like. And it's a beautiful rendering we've shared with you over time. Um, it's about a $5 million project. Currently, we're only $5 million short, but if you happen to have a million or two, just saying, you know, anybody hit the 50 mil over the weekend, um, let me know. I got a place we can put some of it. And you know, it would be a 10% tithe, so that's a lovely idea. But anyway, enough of that. I wanted to bring, uh, invite uh, a beautiful man and uh, very articulate around his journey. Uh, Brian Alsop to come forward and share with you some of his thoughts and ideas around uh, community and his journey and uh, where he's been, where he is, and where he's planning on going. Right now he's planning on going up to this platform. There we go. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, Good morning. Uh, I've been asked to give a sort of testimony and a little bit of our experience here at the center. Uh, Several years ago, my wife and I made a New Year's resolution to try to find a new church, find a new place that we could attend regularly where we would belong. And uh, for those of you who don't know my practice, I have spent over 20 years designing churches, sacred geometry, sacred spaces. Part of what I'm very interested in 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 architecture and I've worked for just about every faith and denomination there is, a number of Protestant denominations, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic Church, I've done a Jewish space, I've done a Buddhist prayer space, uh, and finally this year I got my first mosque, so we're right now working on an Islamic mosque, it's really cool, you know, there's an app you can have on your phone to know exactly where to face the Mecca at any one time, wherever you are in the world, so it's really cool to turn that on for Edmonton and see where Mecca is. But, uh, you know, the one thing that struck us, uh, we had been here to look at doing, as Patrick said, a, a project here has not come to fruition. Uh, 
But we thought this January we would try coming here for worship. So we came January 1st this year, the first time to visit the center here and uh, attend a service. And uh, the preamble, the preamble that we all just read about the um, journeys being different, but the uh, destination being the same, that's my experience in working with various groups. And it just resonated with me. Um, and a number of other things, we uh, also live part of the year in the Okanagan. We live a few minutes from the, uh, the labyrinth in Naramata. The labyrinth on the floor here is an, uh, another example of the walking meditation. We do the walking meditation in Naramata all the time. So we immediately felt at home here. Uh, so we were newcomers that day. We signed up for a course that day. There was a new course of starting. The, the, so we, before our second service, we signed up for a course. We attended, took the foundations course with Laura. And wow, what an experience. Uh, we really, really got a lot out of it. The workbook alone is worth the price of the course. The workbook has a phenomenal resource of writings, teachings, prayers, techniques, meditations, affirmative prayers, structured through all the events you might go through in your life in 10 weeks. Uh, it's an awesome course. So, um, you know, I would encourage anybody who has not taken that course to do it, find out more about this. And uh, about five years ago, a client of mine uh, offered a little proverb that I have now used lots of times in my teachings, but it's an old African proverb uh, from the nomadic tribes in East Africa and it says if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and taking a course you'll go farther deeper you'll be in a group we were in a great group of 10 people Dwayne was in it Gus was in it Liz uh, a lot of good people and uh, yeah we went farther and deeper in a group, in a small group, in a class. So I really encourage you to do that. Beautiful. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much. You've got me taking notes while he's talking. That's great. Awesome. And now I'm going to invite uh, Reverend Carmine Owen to come forward. He's do teaching a meditation class, and uh, it's a really wonderful experience. He's, uh, it's, I, he'll, he'll explain it to you. Take her away. Well, anyone who's never meditated before... You may be wondering, what is meditation? And the simplest way I describe meditation is if you've ever heard of the gym, ever been to a gym, ever made a New Year's resolution about going to a gym, right, the gym is physical training for your physical body. Okay? Meditation is mental training for your mind. Now, a very interesting thing was shared by Brian there, beautiful testimony. When you come together in groups, you'll go far. So meditation is more than you think, really could be titled, meditation is much more than you think. I've been meditating for 20 years. I've taught, this is the seventh time I will have taught this class. We'll have, it's, normally it's eight weeks, I'm going to be making it nine, because each week we'll look at a different meditation practice. So the good news, those of you who have never meditated before, this becomes a beautiful opportunity like a, to sample. Each week we'll talk about a particular practice, we'll try it out, and then you get to go away, practice it. We'll have a discussion forum, so we'll be able to talk about, ask any questions. We'll also be re recording the classes, so if you can't make it one week, then you can catch up, 
listen and then join us again. And then we come back together the next week and we discuss, we share what worked, what were the challenges. And what I've found over the years is, is that every student, every person who comes through, they will find, well, the new meditators will find a meditation practice that works for me because there's nine different samplings. It's like having a sample platter at the restaurant, right? You're bound to like one of them. And those who've been meditating for many years, they bring their wisdom and myself included, I learn through that sharing, through that growth. So if you are interested in not only learning and being able to incorporate meditation into your life and being supportive of a group in doing that, if you are interested in understanding and experiencing what it is to come together as a group to create a coherence in meditation, if you are experiencing, you are really interested in actively engaging, in deepening your practice so that you can use your thinking to change your feelings and change your life, then this class is for you. I'll see you on Tuesday. Beautiful. Thank you, Reverend Carmine. Well said. <clears throat> That's really nice, too. And thank you, Brian and Megan, for uh, your sharing today. It's, it's really nice to have people uh, come up and, and, and speak to those things. And we had three people before the first service, and Reverend Carmine came up. I think you've got about, I don't know, eight or nine now signed up back there. All right. Yeah, way to go. So uh, it's just nice to have a, a, a little bit larger group to create that container of energy as well. All righty. So I've got a few ideas I want to share with you today. Uh, so we're, we're talking about courage this month. We are, I am the place where courage shows up. And, and today I wanted to talk about the courage to author our own story. But I wanted to begin with a, uh, um, you know, I've been using a bit of Brene Brown this, this month, and I wanted to share with you um, a wonderful writing from Theodore Roosevelt, one of the past presidents of the United States. And it's called... Um, and it inspired her book, Daring Greatly, and it comes from Man in the Arena. So man or woman in the arena. Because we're talking about courage. What does it take to live this life? Someone asked me, someone confronted me last week and after the talk, and she said, I love this place, and we came here years ago to work for a, we had a group of, of special needs people that were looking for a place where they could volunteer, and, and we created that space. And she said to me, we didn't have any context or knowing beyond that. She said, this was the only community, and we went to church after church after church, knocked on every door we could. This was the only community that would welcome us. And I thought, oh, how sweet. So she came back and said, I, and, and signed up with Sharon to facilitate the crystal bed, and so quite lovely. But, but she said to me, and I don't mean to embarrass her, but it was so, in, in, she said, why do we have to do all this work? Why? And we don't. We don't have to step into any of it. But I believe that it's our opportunity, it's actually our privilege, and that we're far tougher and more resilient and far more courageous than we even know. And so I want to talk about that a bit today and why this, I think, this commitment and this devotion to the evolution and how we can, be, how we can move forward more effectively can be um, of value. Because we are one. Your health is my health. Your vibrancy is my vibrancy. That's the way it works. That's why we hang out with different, uh, certain people. So anyway, this is what Teddy Roosevelt wrote. This is what inspired Brene Brown's, one of her books called Daring Greatly. He wrote it in 1910. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least 
fails while daring greatly. And so it's, I think it's important in terms of our own soul's journey, our, the call of who we are, to move in a direction to bring greater consciousness and awareness to that activity. I think consciousness is the most important thing that we can be involved with on the planet. Some would tell you it's money, some would tell you it's, it's, it's prestige, all those things, and those are all choices people make, but I would say at the end of the day, the shift in consciousness, the deepening, the deepening of awareness is, is the cornerstone. So today I wanna to talk a bit about three things. The roles we choose, engagement is required, and the three-legged stool. So the roles we choose, we are the actor, the writer, and the producer of our own lives. In other words, the only decision that we get to make, as Brene Brown says in, in uh, Rising Strong, the only decision we get to make is the role that we will play in our own lives. Do we write our own story? Are you writing your own story? Or do we hand our power over to somebody else? Do we live from strength and resilience, or do we live as a victim? See, if everything shows up for us and then our heart gets broken and we get disappointed, there's a lot of ways we can go with that. But I think over time and given enough energy, we, we come to some awarenesses that perhaps we're inaccurate about the stories we make up about those things. So what did it take for somebody like Jesus to live his life? If he did live, but I believe that his life, uh, that what is recorded, what is recorded about that life is accurate. I don't know historically, I don't think, I don't think anybody was, was there that is here today, but I think the metaphors are true. What I would say about it is just because something didn't happen exactly as it's written in scripture doesn't mean it isn't true. And that is looking at, at scripture, looking at sacred text in a different way. It's not all literal. But, but clearly this person, Jesus of Nazareth, he wasn't called the Christ till the fourth century. He wasn't, you know, they, they didn't hang out in a neighbor and said, oh, here comes the Christ. No, he was Jesus. He was Joseph's son. He was a carpenter hanging out. In fact, when he went back in the Gospel of Luke, he went back to his hometown and he was this renowned healer. They wanted to throw him off the cliff because his neighbors knew him. That's no healer. That's no sage. That's no mystic. That's Jesus. You know, I knew him when his nose used to run all the time and chase him out of my garden. So it's really hard to be the healer in your hometown, as uh, many times I've heard said. So in Living in the Science of Mind, Dr. Ernest Holmes writes this. I think it's very, very important, and it's one of the, the key distinctions about how we approach spirituality, how we approach this idea of Christ. He said, well, we believe there's a spiritual ego back of the psychological one. And he, said, and he points out in this chapter that it's unique, that this is one of the unique aspects of how he approaches his, his uh, art, articulation of spirituality. But as you hear more of it and as I build upon it, I think you'll understand that it, it makes sense. There's a real and dynamic spiritual ego. The psychological ego acquired in living is a projection of the real ego of what we experience in life. There is an ego or an I am, I, I myself, which was not created by experience but only expressed through it. In other words, there's an aspect of our energetic field that has always been, always will be that is not developed, it doesn't, it doesn't come here like our psychological ego and, and developed through experience, through, through joys and sorrows, through living life, being domesticated by, by teachers and parents. That has nothing to do with the spiritual ego that we are. There is a real and dynamic spiritual ego. If there were not, the psychological ego never could have functioned. 
this real ego the Bible calls the Christ in us. So this super ego is the Christ in all of us. At the center of every person, the impersonal becomes personal, the generic becomes individualized. The universe or God is incarnated in each of us in an entirely unique and individualized manner. This is the hidden source of all life. The place where Christ within blends on one side with the divine and on the other side with the individual. That is why the Bible tells us there's only one mediator between God and man, and it is the Christ. So this idea of the Christ is really where, and he modeled that, taking birth and, 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 and uh, awakening into the awareness of his divine connection with life. But Holmes professed, and, and the whole core of what we teach is that, that, that Christ lives in all of us. It's there. And it's our opportunity to either work with it and bring it alive within us and give it life or not. That's our dominion. That's the freedom that we have. It was not created by experience. It is that which produces experience. So it is that very aspect that's alive in us that when we set intentions, when we work in a certain direction, we start to shift and change the habits that we have in our lives. It responds to us because we're connected to it. We're not stuck we're not victimized by this. So what role, when you write your story, if we don't have that capacity or start to move in that direction, it's very difficult to write a new vibrant story for our lives because it would feel like where we are or the patterns that we have in our lives are insurmountable. We cannot change them. When in fact, that's the story we make up about them. So there's a willingness. Willingness is very powerful to say, you know what, maybe I don't know. Maybe the story that I've told myself about this isn't true, but it has sure felt true at times for me. So this idea, so understanding that we author our role or not is up to us. It's one of the choices that we've been given on this, this planet. So I want to show you a slide of a, an amazing woman that changed my life, that made her transition on August 30th. Two years earlier, Wayne Dyer transitioned on the same day. Louise Hay was one of the first books that I ever encountered. She's got this wonderful little book called You Can Heal Your Life. And in your Can Heal Your Life... And you can heal your life. Um, sorry, I got a, uh, a little usher in the making here. He's handing uh, Reverend Carmine his storybook right now, so it's very cute. But in it, but the, all of humanity is here, and this little life force here is here by right of divine right of consciousness too. So we celebrate that life. Anyway, but what, but so when I first found Louise Hay's book, and it gave you all of the metaphysical equivalents in the back, if you have a cold or you know uh, gout. Or whatever you have, you know, look it up and what it is and the prayer work that you can do to help dissolve some of those ideas. But it was a wonderful, simple little book that has been printed and printed. And then she developed her own publishing company. And she has done more to influence consciousness on this planet than, than many. Uh, do you know where she started out? you know where her background was? She was trained as a religious science minister at the Palm Desert Church of Religious Science by Dr. Tom Costa. And Dr. Tom was one of the pioneers in our movement when things really started to happen within our movement. He was a, a, a trained and a, a close friend of Dr. Ernest Holmes. And he was well-trained before he went into ministry. In fact, he had the perfect job. He was a bartender. <laughs> so he was used to um, working with spirit long before he got involved formally with working with spirit. In fact, I think we should start handing out alcohol before, as people come in and we really changed the atmosphere in here. But Dr. Tom is a, just a beautiful, wonderful man, beautiful uh, minister. But he was the one that trained Louise Hay. And Louise decided not to do platform ministry, but she was called to be an author and to make a difference in the world. 
but part of her legacy. And so she wrote her own story. She did amazing work when AIDS, when the first onslaught of AIDS happened. She was one of the first people to step up and say, we need to step up and, and help these people. You know, there's a mindset, there's still a mindset among many people, well, this is God's way of punishing for whatever. And, and see, God doesn't operate that way. God is a principle, it's an energetic field. And whatever we give it, whatever we impress upon it, it says yes. So we're the, we're the ones that can make that story up or not and, and fulfill that. But it's not this arbitrary old man with a white beard sitting on a cloud going, ah, I don't like that group, I'm gonna mess with them. And Louise stepped up and she, she, she didn't fear that, you know, the fear at the time was that you could be infected through just physical contact. I mean, all these suspicions that have turned out to not be accurate. And it is no longer a death, death sentence. But she was one of the pioneers in that. And an amazing woman. So she wrote her own story. She had the courage to step up and say, no, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. This is what I want to be devoted to. This is what I want to be in service to. So the next one is engagement is required. And engagement is this idea that, first of all, that you have to notice the feelings you're having. See, most people don't notice the feelings they're having. Most people just have the feeling. And the feelings, feelings are our greatest asset. Without feelings, man, the feelings were the juices. But so what happens is something doesn't happen in our lives. And so we don't get a project completed on time or meet the deadline or whatever it may be. And what many people will do is rather than say, hey, you know what, I didn't make the deadline, I didn't meet the project's uh, requirements or whatever it may be. And, and so rather than be standalone with that particular experience, then they'll jump from that to say, I'm a failure. It's like, wait a minute, you didn't get the project done, but how many people haven't gotten their project done and you'd like to get the project done? So learn from your mistakes and get it done. But to then all of a sudden make a lifestyle out of I'm a failure. Or the relationship ends. Anybody ever been in a relationship here that's ended? Besides me? I was. I was in a relationship once that ended. It's remarkable. All my friends are still with me. They're in a bus outside. They're tired of hearing me talk, but they wait for me patiently. But anyway, so relationships end. And, and so for whatever reason, and there are many reasons, and there are learning in them. It's always unique and individual. But it doesn't mean that you're not lovable. But we can go right from the relationship ending to I'm, I'm not lovable or I'm a disappointment or I didn't measure up or I don't measure up. And so it's very, very important how we manage our emotions because our emotions on the other end of this are the way the juice happens, the way the changes take place. So it's noticing the feelings and then it's getting curious about what the feelings are. So when engaging, it's not letting it overwhelm us, letting it run us. It's simply saying, why am I feeling like this? What is happening here? What is going on here? Why is this triggered in me? That sounds so simple, doesn't it? But boy, when you can get a handle on that and start catching yourself, that's powerful. That's awakening. It's not, it's not comfortable. It's very uncomfortable. But this whole process, this whole spiritual journey is about being uncomfortable because it's newness and newness and newness. And so if you're, you're too comfortable, you might want to look at that. Might mean that you're maintaining the status quo a little too strongly. Get curious about the story behind your feelings. We recognize we're experiencing an emotion and when we realize that we can author our story then, whatever we decide is true becomes our story. I, um, well, I got, so many, I got great stories and I don't have time today, so I'm gonna move on to the third one. 
because I have this really fun practice that I want to end with today with you. It's a spiritual practice. See, we're immersed in it. It's in us. It's in us. We cannot do anything to get rid of it. It is who and what we are. Now, we can let it sleep. By it, I'm talking about that super ego. I'm talking about that Christ that lives in this back of everything and giving that life. So the third idea I wanted to share with you today is a three-legged stool. And this comes from Brene Brown, once again, Rising Strong. She said that all of the changes that she's seen in life, and she's done a lot of work and research around this, the transformation that goes on in life, it's not just changing your thinking. Wayne Dyer got a hold of that, change your thinking, change your life. It is changing, and, and Brene says, to a person, it requires changing your thinking, changing the way you behave, and changing the way you feel. And it requires all three. That's the congruence. And it's within us. And so how do we do that? We get clear about it. Clarity comes typically in bits and pieces and we build it. Writing it down can be helpful. Establishing what are the things that we do stand for. Who did you come here to be? Who did you come here to be? That little, that little cute little thing over there giggling and laughing and having a great time. Who did that little guy come to be? And so all of us have this opportunity, I would say, a responsibility to give birth to that Christed nature within ourselves in whatever capacity it is because it will be individual, it will be unique, it will be wonderful. Out of a sense of how can we help that little one and all the other little ones coming along? How can we help those that we care about and, and believe in? And it doesn't mean they have to be members of this community. But when we understand we're all connected, see, there's no private good. When someone's suffering, when those people in Florida are suffering, we're all suffering. But how can we bring awareness to that and clarity to that because they're not their homes? They feel like when you lose your home, it's devastating. It's trauma. We're not minimizing that, but how can we hold the space for people to know they have everything they need? I will be guided in my own heart and mind to provide whatever I can to support them. But right now, I can start with my consciousness. That's what all the great teachers have done. That's what all the great people that took a stand on this planet. Martin Luther King, you're watching it now. Martin Luther King said, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It's your character. It's your character. And what's happening now is it's almost as if it's gotten a bit skewed. As if what's most important is how we look, the color of our skin, as opposed to the nature of our character. And he was a man of color, but he understood it. He lived in the wisdom. It is, it is the, the, the nature of our character that we bring to the world. So Dr. Holmes wrote this, and I think this is so beautiful and profound. And then we're going we're gonna to wrap up with this beautiful spiritual practice. We had a lot of sharing today. And I got my talk ready for next week now. Yeah, look at this guy. He is just bursting with energy. This is awesome. He said this, The God within you creates every circumstance and situation you have ever experienced. The God within you has created every circumstance and experience that you've ever experienced. You have called these circumstances and situations things in themselves, but they have never been things of themselves. They have always been the fruition of your thought, and your thought has been dominated by your belief in God ever since you have been self-conscious. Ever since you have been self-conscious, have have had self-conscious thought, you have, by, by your use of the law of liberty, created bondage. Not that bondage really existed, but the possibility of using freedom in a limited way existed. It's using our freedom in a limited way. It's how we bind ourselves. There is no arbitrary man standing on a cloud saying, I'm going to give you so much. 
We are the ones that turn the tap open. It's by our capacity to give and receive. You really never bound freedom. You merely used it in a restricted way. The restriction was not in the principle, but in your use of it. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's the responsibility, personal responsibility. Holmes says this, there's a difference whether you believe in actual limitation or merely a restriction, restricted use of freedom. If limitation were a thing in itself, if limitation were a thing in itself, you could not change it. But since it is only an outline of experience, why not use your imagination to enlarge that experience? Why not use your imagination to enlarge that experience? We are the ones that determine this. And so what happens is we fall asleep in the dream. In the, in the Don Miguel Ruiz work of the Toltec, this book called Beyond Fear, I was paging through it yesterday and I came to this mastery of awareness. He wrote this short paragraph. It is through this mastery one becomes aware that humans are dreaming all the time. We are in a dream and it's okay to be in the dream. But we get to decide what the dream looks like. And it takes time to unravel it and to create something new, something beautiful and fresh. We are dreaming all the time, day and night. They are creating the dream of hell. Anybody in the dream of hell? The way out of the nightmare is to know where you are, what you are, and what kind of freedom you seek. Our divine nature is one of freedom. We are born into this incarnation because we want to experience limitation and restriction. We don't have that when we're not in this form. When we're in, we're, when we're in the other realm without the, the, the bounds of this physical form, we are, I know that doing memorial services. I can feel the spirit. I can feel the consciousness in the room of the deceased. Many of the ancient traditions talk about how the soul lingers for about 40 days. But you can feel it in a memorial. But it's, it's everywhere. My mom came and visited us just before she passed away one evening. She showed up as energy. And I thought, isn't it neat? She stepped over the threshold. She's come to say goodbye. Here she, I woke up, I woke up, I was up all night and I looked up and there she was. Probably the reason I couldn't get to sleep. And I thought, oh, look at that, I've never seen that. I pinched myself, thought I was hallucinating, checked to see how much I had to drink before I went to bed. I didn't have any, I thought, all right. But we are unbounded. We can be, we can be anywhere. Einstein said the reason we have time in this realm is so everything doesn't happen at once. So we can feel bounded. But how do we have those practices in our life? So one of the ways we do that is through coherence. And coherence is, there's many simple ways to find it. One of the ways to do it is through music, and it's through movement. So I want to create an experience for you today with one of my favorite tunes that we're going to put up on the screen here by Justin Timberlake. And you'll know the tune, and I'm going to invite you to move any way you want to this tune, whether you stand still or not, but I'm going to invite you to join me in this activity of coherence through music and movement. And here we go. All right, come on. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. Off from my city, off from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body, but it drops.
spiritual practice and it creates coherence Matthew Fox years ago used to do a thing called the spiritual rave and he would play the music he'd invite people in the room, no drugs put images up on the walls and people would dance and dance and dance and they would dance themselves into an altered state of consciousness because what happens when we're moving to a, a beat, a rhythm it puts us into the congruence with the divine so I'm not just goofing it's spiritual practice, and it's a beautiful thing, and we're all shifted by it. We're all blessed by it. And so when you find yourself trapped in those emotions that are taking you down a, a path of depression and sadness and sorrow and blame and shame or whatever it may be, find an antidote. Don't reach for a drug. I was just reading an article the other day. The amount of antidepressants that are in our water system, I don't know what we're going to do. I think about it every time I take a drink of water. I don't want somebody's antidepressants in my water. We don't need to do that if we just slow down and bless ourselves and remind ourselves the truth of our being. So it's not that hard. So thanks for dancing this week with me. Thanks so much. And that little guy that danced with me too is sweet, sweet little guy. And so it is. Blessings. Blessings.